grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. fourth Sunday in Lent, and also our special Stewardship Sunday, is found recorded in the book of Genesis chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. We hear how strangers came to Abraham and how he reacted. And these strangers included the Lord and angels. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Amri as he was sitting by the door to his tent during the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Now let me give a little water so that all of you can wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me get some bread so that you can refresh yourselves. After that, you may go your way. This is why you have come to your servant. They said, yes, do as you have said. Abraham hurried into the tent to to Sarah and said, quickly, prepare 20 quarts of fine flour, knead it, and make some loaves of bread. Abraham ran to the herd, brought a good tender calf, and gave it to the servant. He hurried to prepare it. He took cheese curds, milk, and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. He stood beside them under the tree while they ate. They asked him, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, she is over there in the tent. One of the men said, I will certainly return to you when this season comes around next year. Then Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening to this from the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old well into old age. Sarah was past the age for childbearing. She laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, will I have pleasure, since my Lord is also old? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really give birth to a child, though I am old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the set time next year, I will return to you, and Sarah will have a son. Then Sarah denied it and said, I did not laugh, because she was afraid. The Lord said, yes, you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 2, beginning at the 42nd verse. These words come right after that Pentecost, after 3,000 were baptized in one day. And it was on this day that the Holy Christian Church became into being. And notice how they interacted with each other and the hospitality that we see. They continued to hold firmly to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Awe came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They were selling their possessions and property and were distributing the proceeds according to what everyone needed. Day after day, with one mind, they were devoted to meeting in the temple area as they continued to break bread in their homes. They shared their food with glad and sincere hearts as they continued praising God and being viewed favorably by all the people. Day after day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, beginning at verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. He said to him, follow me. Matthew got up and followed him. As Jesus was reclining at the table in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were actually there too, eating with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, The healthy do not need a physician, but the sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In fact, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, beginning at verse 9. I will read the, the closing words of this entire section. In fact, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, it is time to write your autobiography, and what are you going to put in to the history of your life as, as you have lived it so far? Are you going to put in only the good stuff? Or are you willing to put yourself out there and include maybe some of the bad things? Or would you include maybe some of the things that are secrets and that you've kept hidden in your heart? You haven't even told your family some of these secrets. How much do you reveal? Again, how much do you put out there for the world to see? And not just now, but for the world in the future to see. And by the way, how big will this autobiography be? Will it be at least a page? Can you come up with a paragraph's worth? Oh, I bet maybe you could come up with a whole book. Maybe it'll be a novel. Why stop there? Why don't we go with several volumes? I bet it wouldn't be like Matthew's autobiography. And that's what our text is. Five verses. That's it. In fact, when you hear these five verses, you could actually argue well, they're not a very good autobiography because he doesn't even hardly talk about himself. It's all about the Lord Jesus. This is the very Son of God, the very God who has made him, the very God who gave his life to pay for his sins. In fact, if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus himself, can you really say that for any of us there's an autobiography? All of this is taking place at Jesus' hometown, 
Now, the first thing you think of is, of course, Nazareth. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, but that's not the hometown I'm speaking about. In fact, Jesus, the last time he preached in Nazareth, was actually taken by the crowd, and they were going to push him over a cliff. And Jesus, using his almighty power, walked between them. They never did lay a hand on him. From there, he is going to move, even moving Mary, his mother. And where he will set up headquarters now is going to be in Capernaum. From here, he will spend a good part of a year preaching and teaching to what is known today as the Galilean ministry. This was a city that was the hub of commerce. It was right on the road of one of the major, major roads of trade that went from Damascus down to Egypt. In fact, it was just on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so, fishing was a huge industry. Many of his disciples were fishermen. Peter, Andrew, James. John, they too lived there at Capernaum. So it's not surprising that we hear that there's a Roman tax booth in this city. And from my studies, I, it's interesting that there may have been at least two different kinds of taxes. One is called the head tax, and, and supposedly that may have been a very small fee. But the other big tax was really the sales tax. Just like today, sellers would have to pay a tax. But they would have to pay that tax up front, no doubt passing on that tax down to their consumers. So that is what Matthew may have been collecting in this booth. He was a Jew. His Jewish name was Levi. His Galilean name was actually Matthew. And some believe that it was Jesus who may have given him that name since the name means gift of God. Matthew is collecting at this booth and, and now Jesus comes before him and tells him to follow him. Jesus had been preaching to a large crowd along the Sea of Galilee. Could have Matthew have heard him preaching and teaching? Oh, quite honestly, that's possible. So when Jesus says, come follow me, this is not the first time he sees Jesus. But keep in mind, he is a tax collector, and he's part of a subs subset of people who are totally despised. They are listed under the group called the sinners. Yes, we are all by nature sinful and unclean. But the truth of the matter is, there was a group that was called the sinners because this was the group that people would look down at. These were the people that the synagogue rulers wouldn't allow them to come to worship. So you could say they were kicked out of the church. These were the people that if your daughter brought one of these guys home like Matthew, you would disown her. That would have been considered a disgrace a disgrace to the Lord who approaches Matthew to say follow me follow me immediately that makes me think of when Jesus later 
will be explaining to the disciples and to the crowd what it means to really be a disciple of Jesus. The word disciple means student, a learner, a pupil. And a, a disciple is one that Jesus would say has, it includes three things. One is, is a disciple is one who denies himself, denies the thinking that he can save himself, denies the thinking that by his own works he can earn God's favor. And then the second thing is, is, is he is to take up his cross. Now immediately we would be tempted to think that the cross is simply all the trials and tribulations that we face in life. But more so the trials and tribulations here is referring to being a Christian. Because if they hate Christ, they would hate those who believe in Christ. And the Lord Jesus tells us to take up our cross, to take up being a Christian that proclaims his holy name, that grows in his holy name, all according to his holy word, and face the trials and tribulations that may come. And above all, he concludes with the words, follow me, same words, follow me. But there's only one way to follow the Lord, and that is listening to his word, taking to heart his word, obeying his word. Remember, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it and keep it. And this is no doubt what is behind. Those two simple words, follow me. Matthew immediately does. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, we're told that he actually follows Jesus and leaves everything behind. He doesn't say to Jesus, well, give me some time to think about it and I'll get back to you. He doesn't say to him, well, let me go home and get my house in order. He leaves everything behind and follows Jesus. Jesus didn't even ask him to leave everything behind, but he does, reminding us of where our priority really lies, always in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at all the things that you would consider important in your life things that you would hold very dear to your heart, the things that you would say, I really can't live without. This is what makes me really rich. And when you put a value on those things that are so precious and important, in fact, if you can, I would even argue that they may not be as precious and important as you think, because isn't the things that are precious and important the most are the things that are priceless, things you can't put a value on? I've always believed in my heart that what has made me a wealthy man was not money, how much I have in the bank, how much I have in savings, how much I've been saving up for retirement, but rather what has truly made me rich in this world is holding each one of my children in my arms when they were born. I cried every time 
And for anyone out there thinking that, well, he's crying because they're ugly. No, that wasn't it at all. But a precious gift of God, my friends. And I couldn't help but think on how abortion is running rampant in this world and, and to see children for what they are, a truly a gift of God. To not only raise, but to bring up in the training and instruction of the Lord to pass that baton of the gospel on to the next generation. Is there a greater privilege in all the world? And yet, being blessed with children doesn't even begin to compare Jesus Christ and all he has done for us. I pray, my friends, that my children do not lose the faith. I pray that my children continue to grow in this world with all the temptations and the arrows of Satan who would love nothing more but to pierce their souls so that they fall away from Christ and live for their own selfish selves. I pray that they live each moment growing in that word, taking to heart that word, living that word, and sharing that word even with their lips. And more important is G more important than my children is Jesus Christ. Not only do I pray for them to not lose the faith, but I pray they pray for me never to lose that faith, as that ought to be our prayer for each and every one of us. Hang on to the greatest treasure, and there is no greater treasure than Jesus Christ. He lived for us. And that righteous life, that holy life, is credited to us through faith in him. He died for us so that the punishment he endured in our behalf would be credited to us. And it's credited to us through faith, not by what we have done, but trusting in what Christ has done for us. This is where our heart cherishes above everything else. And therefore, it is not surprising that Matthew, called by the Savior to follow him, would throw a banquet. He invited his friends, his co-workers. There were tax collectors there. There were sinners there. There may have been even criminals and thieves and prostitutes. They were tended to be lumped under that category of sinners. And here Jesus was eating with them and no doubt preaching and teaching to them. The Pharisees would have none of this. They actually started complaining. Didn't even have the guts to complain to Jesus. No, they went to his disciples. But they certainly spoke loud enough for Jesus to hear them. Why would he eat with these tax collectors and sinners. Why? If he is supposed to be such a renowned teacher and he is supposed to be a renowned prophet and rabbi in the eyes of the people, if he's got large crowds that are following to hear what he has to say, why would he be luring himself for such people? That's proof that he is not great and that people are fools for listening to him. Jesus' reply 
was a reply of a teacher. His reply was one of a beautiful teaching tool where you go from the known in order to teach the unknown. What was known, Jesus said, is this. The healthy do not need a physician, but the sick do. These, this is a truth that is old as time itself. Healthy people don't go to a doctor. They don't need a doctor. They're healthy. Only the sick are the ones asking for help because they need the help. And that's true spiritually as well. Jesus did not call to call the righteous, the perfect, the holy. If you're perfect and holy, then you don't need a savior from sin because you didn't sin. Jesus came to call sinners. He came to be the savior for sinners. And the truth, in it, the truth is, is that we have all sinned. No one is perfect and holy. And because we are all sinners, we all need that Savior. And Jesus is that very Savior. So now Jesus tells them to go and learn. Quoting from the Old Testament, from the book of Hosea. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. All those sacrifices they would offer over and over again, they ended up being misused. They ended up being treated like we offer sacrifices because this is the work we need to do to please God. And so all this work righteousness that was taking place all in the name of offering sacrifices to God, well, over time, a lot of these sacrifices became abused. People were just simply going through the motions, offering even despicable sacrifices in the sense of, they, they well, God wants a sacrifice, so we'll give him one. Well, the animal was maged, the animal was sick, the animal was, should have been called, and, and it was dying anyway, so we'll give it to the Lord and save some money. The Lord tells them that it wasn't his desire of sacrifice, but that the sacrifices be made. Out of love, he desired mercy. That's undeserved love. The Lord wasn't just looking at what they were doing. He was looking at why they were doing it. What they were doing was an opportunity to share that why and what was burning in their hearts to the Lord. But when your heart's far from the Lord, what you're doing will not be acceptable to the Lord. He desired mercy. This is mercy that is motivated by God's love for us. This is mercy that flows by that love of God in the way we love our Lord. And we show that love to our Lord again, not to earn heaven, but we show it out of thankful love in the way we treat one another. And especially in the way we treat a stranger. The word hospitality in the original language literally means love of a stranger or love for a stranger. Someone that we're going to first meet. And the temptation is always to think, well, I don't know if I'll be nice to them until they be nice to me. I don't know if I want to be generous to them unless I know they're going to be generous to me. Well, that's not mercy. That's selfishness. In mercy, 
We look upon each other, even a stranger, even someone who hasn't even come from our culture or maybe our region that we grew up in and, and who may have you know, different and unique characteristics and habits and maybe be tempted to think we can put those down and make fun of those. But the truth of the matter is we see each other the way that God intended us to see each other, that every person is a precious soul. That every person is a sinful human being. That every person needs a savior. Just like I'm a sinful human being who needs a savior. Just like I too, under the Lord, by his mercy, am a precious soul. Show hospitality to one another. For stewardship is, is far more than simply putting money in a collection plate. Stewardship is Christian living. Or another way to put it, stewardship is mercy. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.